welcome. Welcome to the Captivate Church podcast. This is Ire. Uh, this is our series beginning with God. We're looking through Mark's gospel together. And today is Mark chapter 5. I'm going to pray and then we'll get straight into the passage. Let's pray. Dear God, wherever we are, please open our hearts to listen to your word. Help us to hear you as our King and our Saviour and our loving Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Mark chapter 5. Here we go. Mark chapter 5. Reading from verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with chains. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the lesion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them, be with him, sorry. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made made well and alive, and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him, and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment, for she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? 
And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say who touched me. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you, has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? What they, uh, sorry, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside, and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. So, that was Mark chapter 5. It was Mark chapter 5. Um, we'll go through it, observations, questions, and then applications to pray for. Um, there, there, there's so much detail in Mark. Um, just like, you know, in the whole Bible. And it's a real shame that we can't go through these more in detail. Um, I really want to uh, take us through, and, and, and I really want to think about why does the word sea come out a lot? Like, what's what's the deal with the sea, the crossing of the sea? Um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do, like, you know, a deeper dive into like all the different characters of this narrative and, and what they're supposed to represent. Um, you know, does, does status matter? Like if, if someone who's a ruler comes out, is that supposed to be different to um, someone, you know, just like an everyday guy or, a, you know, so there's, there's just so much detail that, that, that we're unable to touch. So um, ha- please, I, I really do uh, encourage you, have a read of it for yourself again. Uh, go through maybe you will find things and god will show you things that's just like oh i didn't see that before um in, in some sense that is the way god teaches us i think he, he he teaches us and reveals us and helps us to listen that's that's pretty awesome um so observations of mark well let's see so this particular chapter you can see there there's basically let's say there's this three scenes in in this chapter it begins with the guy with the unclean legion demon fella who lives among the tombs. Um, we got the second scene. Um, it, yeah, it is a second scene where, where, where Jairus, one of the rulers of the synagogues, he comes and, and implores Jesus to come and save his daughter. Uh, so as he's going, the third scene sort of starts where 
the woman with the the blood discharge for 12 years comes and asks for help. Uh, and then the second scene is sort of brought back and it's finished when uh, Jesus says, Talitha kumi, you know, rise, little girl, and, and heals the girl. So it, it, it's sort of, yeah, it's, it goes A, B, C, B, you know, in terms of, in, in terms of how the scene plays out. Um, I think the Bible is the greatest piece of literature, full stop. Not only does it span genres and go across the spectrum of human genres, it's just so beautifully written in a way that helps us see things, not just beauty and truth by themselves, but divine beauty and divine truth. It's such a beautifully written piece of literature. Um, Yeah. Uh, it is God's word, and 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 I really hope you you appreciate that. Um, so we we begin then with with, with the Gerasenes because I'm I'm just noticing how how tragic this whole chapter is. You got a guy who lives among the tombs, and he's just almost death personified. And you got this terrible and sad and tragic situation where a father has to come all the way to implore. Uh, Jesus to save his little girl. I, um, you know, Celia and I don't don't have children. Um, uh, but when when I see and when I hear of parents um, telling me about what hap- how they feel when their child is sick, um, yeah, there could be mums listening to this. When when your child is sick and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go, um, that that is a depth of suffering that that is is unbearable i i'm i'm sure um when when loved ones around us are sick and we can't do anything about it that's that's the ultimate torture it it, it is really hard when our family members are sick and we can't do anything there's a real tragedy in that and i and i appreciate the bible's willingness to deal with topics like that it doesn't shy away from the realities of life, of tragedy, of whether it's someone living among the tombs or whether it's the sickness and the near death of this little daughter, um, as well as this, this woman uh, who, who's had the, the, the discharge of blood, um, how long was it, for, for 12 years. Um, it, it, it is a real tragedy. Can, can you imagine the hopelessness that she would have felt Every single day for 12 years. 12 years. That's three Olympics. That's one whole schooling term for a child. 12 years. Every day you wake up and you know you're sick and there's no hope. You go to all the doctors you can, right? It, it, it says here um, that she went to all the physicians, but they couldn't do anything. Um, I wonder whether this is a an intentional way of doing things. Look at verse 26 and how it's phrased. She had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. I I, I wonder whether there's a real tragedy there as well. There is no one who can help. In fact, it has made things worse. The Bible is not alien nor foreign, nor is it 
you know, unwilling to deal with the realities of suffering in this world. It's a real book with real people and real tragedy. Now, as I'm just, just sort of looking at the text and, and thinking about how we've summarized these three and just seeing the commonalities, you, you can see that whether it's the man with the demon, or whether it's Jairus and his daughter, or whether it's the woman, not only is there pain, but it's hopeless pain. There is no hope. There is nothing that anyone could do. This ruler of the synagogues, 22, rulers of the, one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now, the ruler of a synagogue is, you know, no, no um, paper out boy sort of position. This is a ruler of a synagogue. Synagogue was at the very center of Jewish life. We're talking about a guy who was in office, a guy who was in government with power, with privilege and abilities to see people and to reach people and to call people to help. At a whim, people would come and serve this guy, but he can't do anything. Consider the demon. There was nothing that anyone could do. No one could subdue him. No one had the strength. They did whatever they could. They could help him. They could try to do things. They could bind him up. No one could help him. And that's the same with this woman. With the blood discharge. No one could help her. I think before we jump on to Jesus and the salvation that he brings, I think it's worth reflecting because this this is a, a a real thing for a lot of us. Uh, we we shouldn't pass over very quickly, or too quickly, that there is suffering in our lives and in our world. Um, just on off the top of my head, I, I know at least five uh, members of our church family who, either themselves or, or their families, are going through very difficult times. And at times when we see things in the news about suffering and pain and whether it's um, how they treated civilians in Ukraine or uh, whether it's tensions on the borders of of North and South Korea or whether it's shooting deaths uh, in the US. I just saw on the news um, last night that, that, that there was a shooting in Sacramento. Or whether it's the floods. You know, I'm seeing outside and it's raining. What will happen to Lismore again? And then we flick to the next thing on our phones. And then we scroll up. And then we alt-tab our way out of life. You know, I, I think our world is very uncomfortable with the suffering. And sometimes I, I fear, because I see it in myself, a, a, an unwillingness to deal with suffering and look at suffering eye to eye and see what's happening. We don't do well with pain. We don't do well with discomfort, our modern world. We, we like things that are comfortable, uh, quick, uh, pleasurable, not real. So let us, because I am, I, I am challenged to think more about suffering, more about pain, not be, not be afraid to, to mourn and to grieve and Ask Jesus to come back quickly. Suffering is the reality of our world. That's where we live. And if we are unwilling to see what's happening, and unwilling to take it to God, then 
I think we are as hopeless as the people that we've seen in this chapter. For our own failings and our own sufferings will lead us to that same path of vain and hopeless pain. Let us come to Jesus, the one who is able to save, the one who is able to heal so decisively. The word immediately comes out whenever Jesus comes and gives healing. Immediately, you know, the the girl gets up. Immediately, the the spirits get, get chased out. Immediately, the woman's discharge is stopped. That is an amazing thing. When we see it in terms of Jewish traditions, it was actually against the law of Moses for anyone to touch an unclean person. Anyone who was sick or dying or had a discharge of blood, like in the case of this woman, it was considered illegal. It was considered ungodly to touch someone who was unclean. Why? Because well, that uncleanness would almost like a disease come and spread over to you and make you unclean. The state when you touch someone whose state was unclean, your state and being became unclean. Not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. It's amazing. It's almost a reversal of sin. It, it's, it's, a, it's a reversal of the effects of pain and death. When Jesus touches an unclean state, it's not that he becomes unclean, but the man, the daughter, and the woman, they become clean. That is amazing. We have Jesus literally facing pain, suffering and death that seems hopeless and deals with it decisively with immediate effect. Jesus deals with the realities of our pain and our suffering. He faces it directly, head on, touches it and deals with it. This is who Jesus is, and this is why he matters. You know, we ask the question, is Jesus relevant in the 21st century? It's mostly asked by those who think that Jesus is a story or a myth, uh, one that found relevance back in the days before um, the time of the internet or electricity or of the enlightened mind in the 18th, uh, 18th and 19th century. There are two things that happened back then in the Enlightenment. Not only did we put Jesus and God down, but we raised ourselves up thinking that we were able to conquer anything. But when we look at Mark chapter 5, and when we turn on the news, and when we see our own lives, we can see that the limits of our rationality and our ability as human beings is not limitless. It is small. It is insignificant. We are unable to do so many things. I can see that in myself. You know, um, I'm I'm waiting for a, you know, um, a, a holiday to Korea. Uh, that all depends if uh, neither me or Celia gets COVID. Now, let me tell you, there is nothing that I can do to stop that. There, there is there is there is not much that I can do. I can't talk to the virus. I can't sit them down, listen to their concerns, tell them, you know, let's let's sort of figure out another way. There is nothing that I can do. All the technology of our worlds have failed in protecting the lives of many people who have been affected by this disease. If anything, coronavirus has shown us that we are not enlightened beings. We're vulnerable. How relevant then is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who tells me today, 
not to fear, but to trust in Him. Fear is a a very natural reaction to suffering, a very natural reaction to pain. And yet, what Jesus says is, "Do not fear." He's almost saying there is an unnatural, supernatural. Sorry, there is a supernatural reaction that you are able to have that goes beyond the realms of what you can see and feel. Believe in me. Fear is the natural response to suffering. But God's supernatural work within us by the Spirit allows us to trust in Jesus. And through faith in Him, have entry into the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty relevant for us, I think. Um, let's sort of circle back down. Oh, sorry. Circle back up, if you will. Back to thinking about implications. I think for me, it, it, there are two. One is realizing that pain is real. And that it is good for me to at times look at pain and suffering eye to eye. Not blinking or turning my head or scrolling up in a way. But allowing the suffering to take me to trusting in Jesus. To help me to respond if I can in a way of, you know, in any way alleviating the suffering of somebody but also willing to take that person to Jesus as well. Because, and this is my second implication, trusting that Jesus is the one that when nobody else could do anything, he could. He truly is worthy of all our trust, isn't he? I'll be praying for that for myself, but I'll also be praying for us. Us as in Captivate, you know, those listening and, and those not, we, we all are... Uh, in need of this prayer. So let's pray together. Dear God, we praise you that you are the one that despite what seems like hopeless pain and suffering, that you are willing to come down and be with us in our sufferings and not just empathize but find a way out. We thank you that you have brought in a kingdom that will have no pain that will wipe away all tears, that will fulfill what we will read in Revelation, a time and a place and a state of being where everything is the way things should be. Please help us in our sufferings to not shy away, but to come to it with an attitude of trust. Help us to grow in our trust, in our pain. And so for those of us who are suffering, Father, help us to suffer well and to grieve well and to feel pain well by coming to you with all our burdens. For we know that you are the one who says to girls who are dead, arise. Father, please help us. Please help us trust in you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, that was Mark chapter 5. Hope you enjoyed it um, and found it good for your Christian life. Uh, Tomorrow is chapter 6, so I will see you then. Until then, see you around.